Alright guys, welcome back to my podcast. Uh, I've got to say, this is the first time I'm doing a podcast in Miami in a fucking hotel room uh, suite. So, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's good. Um, so anyway, Damon, thank you very very much for your time. It's been an absolute honour driving with you on this Gumball Rally. Your car is uh, next level insane. Sounds like a F1 car. Most people use that term uh, for lots of different cars, but your car actually sounds, sounds like the real thing. Um, so I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, you're from uh, DDE. Yeah. If you can uh, describe to us what that is and sure. what that company's about. So DDE is obviously the abbreviation for Daily Driven Exotics. Daily Driven Exotics is an exotic car lifestyle vlog channel. So we always film with exotic supercars. You know, <coughs> Lamborghini, Ferrari yep. are the ones everybody knows. Uh, McLaren's the close third, Porsche. And then you get into the more exotic, almost hypercar level cars, mm-hmm. Pagani, Koenigsegg, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, that's what we do. We drive cars like madmen. You have to have some sort of way to hold people's attention. My way was to um, take these cars and do things with them people didn't expect you to do. So there's that shock factor. And that was the original thing 10 years ago. And it's evolved now into a full-blown lifestyle entertainment supercar channel. So if you will, if you've ever seen the show on HBO um, Entourage back mm-hmm. in the day, yeah. that was kind of uh, loosely mimicked around Mark Wahlberg's up, you know, rising in Hollywood. I would I like to kind of almost say it's like that a little bit because it's me and my business partner who's a 20-year friend of mine and a whole bunch of other people that we hang out with. And it's like our entourage traveling around, doing crazy things in supercars. Yeah. So as I said to you before, I think it was yesterday, my name's Stephen Sully and it's called the Stephen Sully Study. Yes. Because I like to study successful individuals. Right. People with a big following, people have got, I don't know, you know, turnover millions and millions of pounds or dollars. People got assets, people that think in a certain way. And I believe you tick all those boxes. So I wanted to, you know, uh, get inside your mind and find out how you become a success. Because you said to me, you've got about 15 cars, roughly. Mm-hmm. You've done loads of different types of rallies. You travel around the world. Uh, obviously, got things like nice watches, etc. But there was a point in your life where you didn't have that. So where, yeah. where, where, was the, where was the turning point for you? Okay. So you'd have to go back quite a ways to understand how I was raised and how from even as a child, I got to see things that I think a certain percentage of obviously people don't get to see because it's predicated on from being a child, how, what do your parents do? That's where it all starts. Hmm. So there's many stages in life that uh, contribute to building a human's mindset and outlook. And so it starts as a child. And when I was a child, both my parents were entrepreneurs and business owners. So they always owned a business of their own. I've never seen my parents employed by someone else or not for very long, but, or they were like more subcontracted. Yeah. So they were always, um, you know, entrepreneurs. So that's one thing that, you know, working around my mom and my dad, I believe I got a strong work ethic because I saw them always working hard and they, the fruits of those labors were evident in my life. My parents had had nice things. Um, no means by no means were my parents really rich, but they were smart as entrepreneurs that you have this ability to, you know, 
leverage finances when you work with banks and things of that nature for yeah. running a company. So anyhow, my parents drove fairly nice cars and stuff like that. And then as a teenager, when I started to understand a little bit, when you leave being a kid and you start to understand that like the power of what money does, mm. right? You start to realize like money, money is what you need to buy things, travel, go see things. You start to understand that you have this different relationship with money when all of a sudden your parents, when you're a teenager, stop, stop giving you uh, money for certain things and you understand why. And you then realize, oh, I need to go earn my own money. <clears throat> so when you start thinking about earning your own money, you have, no, you have no concept. And that evolved into, well, I want to do what my parents obviously did, right? Like trading my time for a dollar uh, makes less sense than learning how to leverage either my time or money. Well, if you don't have money in the beginning, you have to leverage your time. Mm -hmm. And leveraging your time comes from obviously, you know, having a business idea that leverages off of other people's time, so employees. So I started getting into some businesses as young as 16 years old. And some of the easiest ones to get into are what some people might know as multi-level marketing. So, you know, uh, things like Amway, or I worked with a couple other companies, and I didn't have any great success in those, obviously, in the beginning, but it gave me a great foundation of like understanding how to take a good or a service, goods or services, yeah. and how to resell them to someone and how to teach other people to do the same thing. So you start building on that mindset. And I learned very quickly through uh, some audio books that I was doing for personal development, which I think is the strongest thing you would get out of a good leadership role type person in a MLM business is they're really good at trying to build people's mindsets. And so they did a good job of helping me go in the right direction, getting books of personal development people to help build my mindset. And I learned some really key things early on in my early 20s that have still stuck with me to today that I use. And those things are just like building a prosperity mindset, not having the thought of like lack and limitation and eliminating words from your vocabulary which help your mindset connect to like, stop saying things like, I, oh, I can't afford that. Or you just eliminate that from your mindset at all. And eliminating things from your mindset of like thinking you can't do something or anything like that. Being someone who starts looking for ways to be a good problem solver. So I started developing these mindsets in my early 20s that to this day, I, we still use. Like Dave and I, when we work together, my business partner in Daily Driven Exotics, like we won't have a conversation where it's like, we don't, well, we don't think we can do this or we can't afford to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. We might not have it now, but we'll find a way to, to do yeah. it. And Gumball is a great example of that. Here we are. We're on the end of Gumball 3000. The entry fee to this is astronomical. You know, the entry fee to go on a nine day journey, driving cars on public roads is bigger than most people's annual income. Yeah. And I didn't have that kind of money at one time, but I never thought I couldn't go. I never thought I wouldn't find a way to earn enough money. It was never like, oh, I can't afford to do that. So I'll just give up on that dream. Yeah, I built a mindset thanks to a lot of people and, and reading and listening to books that led me to be in a place of one day I will do this. And my dream, and I learned about Gumball like 15 15, 20 years ago, like I knew about it when it was the, within a first few years of it doing mm. it. It was this yeah. rock star lifestyle driving supercars. 
and 20, you know, 20 years later, here I am. It's wild. So the evolution goes from my 20s. I have two young kids with a girlfriend of mine. That's life-changing when you have children young. You have to be responsible. You have to be uh, a foundation and support your family. So you have to earn money again to do that lifestyle. And I really needed some security in my life. So I got out of doing these, you know, little MLM businesses and went into a steady career doing sales. I knew I'd be good salesman uh, working in my family's business, which was my parents were in hospitality. They mentioned that. So they had like a little motel, a restaurant, things like that. So I got to work around the public a lot. So I think I kind of developed people skills. My mom taught me how to be polite and how to greet people and how to serve tables. So when I went into sales, I took all those skills of working with the public and applied that to learning how to sell something to somebody. And I worked at the largest furniture and electronics franchise, or I don't think it's a franchise, business, I should say, in Canada. It's called The Brick. Worked there for just shy of five years. Had a phenomenal career there. Created great stability. But I was still lacking that, that uh, you know, under I, I was lacking that ability to make an unlimited amount of money. I was limited by, you know, the hours the business was operating in. Yeah. I was limited by the products that that company sold. And I was limited by the location I was in. I was always in one location. Like I didn't own the brick. I couldn't go to, I couldn't sell in multiple <clears throat> locations. I had to sell to this one location. So again, eventually I had saved up enough money to at least leave that business and attempt to do something else for a little while. And if it failed, you know, I'd have to go back and figure it out. Yeah. And while I was working in that furniture store, my sales manager had a stepbrother, half stepbrother, that was doing some sort of online marketing. Now I had no idea what that was. And we became friends through just going out and having beers and hanging out. And he just seemed like he had more money than God to me at the time. This guy treated an ATM like it was his piggy bank. I was like, this guy's gotta be like a drug dealer or something. Like my mind was limited to that at that point because I'd been an employee for a few years. And uh, I finally said, you know, like, what do you do? And he says, well, I do online marketing. I was like, well, what does that mean? He goes, I sell other people's products and services on the internet. And I said, well, how do you do that? And he says, well, I, I do it through email. So I do email marketing specifically. And I was like, that makes a lot of money. And he was like, well, it depends on what you think a lot of money is. Mm. I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good answer. So I said, well, I think making $10,000 a month would be a lot of money. And he goes, well, then yes, it makes a lot of money. And I said, oh, that's really cool. And he goes, well, you know, I could show you how to do it. And so over the course of six months of hanging out, mm. he eventually started to show me what he did and introduced me to this whole different world I had no idea about previous six months before. I was supposed to like to sell furniture, you know? And um, yeah, it was mind-blowing. You know, this guy was had a list and I didn't understand there's lots of pieces of this we won't get into, but he had a list of 9 million AOL users <clears throat> and that's America online back in the day. And essentially he would take this list, put it into a piece of software that would um, send emails out. So you could go in and create a template of what text or imagery you wanted for, let's say a product or service, a company, backlinks and all sorts of stuff 
embedded into HTML type of code that you can write. And he would send this out to like 9 million people. I'm oversimplifying this. Mm. Okay. And you got to think you're sending something to 9 million people. What's the percentage of clicks that people would have to buy to make some money? Mm. Well, it's very, very small. Yeah. If you had 9 million people who got this email, let's say only 0.001% opened it, right? Or And 0.0001% bought something, but the CPM of buying that item was going to pay you $50. Well, it's a lot of money. I mean, I'm not even joking, man. When I, I went from making maybe $7,500 a month busting my ass, and this guy's making five hundred to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars US US dollars. I was making seventy five hundred dollars Canadian. Mm. The US dollar is always worth more than the Canadian dollar. So this guy was making like almost a million dollars a month. Wow. By himself, working with one other guy, sending out emails. Mm. I was like, I was hooked when I started to see this whole new lifestyle and this whole new way of being able to sell a product or a service to mass amounts of people the quickest, fastest way you possibly could. Yeah. So I was fortunate I got to meet this guy. He mentored me for a, a little over a year. He was quite crazy. He was quite into his lifestyle and the money that was coming in. He could spend it as fast as he was making it. So you can imagine, like, what do you spend $500,000 a month on? Partying. Yeah. And there was a point where, like, I'd gone out with him for a while and I just couldn't do it anymore. Like, you know, I'm too I'm, intense. It's too intense for me. But I love the the industry. I loved the money. And I had figured out just enough to understand that it was there and I didn't want to leave it this industry. So I just went on the hunt for the next 12 months after I left working with him. And I was on like a bit of a rev share with him. So I was making maybe fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars a month working with him, running some email programs for him. But I knew if I could be this guy, the opportunity was I could be making half a million dollars a month or even $100,000 a month. Like it was, it was sky's the limit. So that's what I did. I went after it and um, through some of the people I had networked with in the industry, mm. I started finding one little nugget of information led to the next nugget of information. And it, it's like a puzzle, right? It's like, you know... The puzzle can be put together. You just have to find the pieces. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And eventually it worked out. I found a tech guy who could help me with the code and the things I didn't understand and all the little pieces. And, you know, I eventually got my own mailing software. I got my own version of the list, all that sort of stuff. And I ended up making, yeah, well, I started making over six figures a month and completely changed my life. Fucking really cool story, man. Yeah. Email really, marketing. Very, very As a glorified spammer, okay, guys? I'll say <laughs> Back in the day when spam laws in Canada were almost non-existent and the spam laws here in the United States were quite relaxed and, uh, yeah, you just send out as much bulk email of people's offers. It's called affiliate marketing. Yeah. Because you're selling other people's yeah. stuff. You're affiliated to another company or brand. That's yeah. what I did. So then talk to me about when you set up uh, daily driven exotics. Yeah. When 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 the when that start and was there always a plan to do something like this? So there wasn't. I mean, I first was introduced to online marketing, did the email, which funny enough, they then they then started putting some spam laws in place 
Mm -hmm. uh, they put a spam law in place in Canada that was actually the strictest spam law in the entire world at that time. Okay. And so I was like, hey, well, you know, send out an email and you can be fined with like $1,000 to $5,000 for every email, you know, that you send, quote unquote, now classified as illegal spamming. Yeah. Well, you know, imagine a $5,000 fine for nine times 9 million. I was like, okay, that's a deterrent. <laughs> Plus maybe jail time. So I was like, okay, I need to get out of this. And I knew Facebook <clears throat> marketing had come into play. So I transferred with all the contacts I'd made in the industry because it's all intertwined. I went over to Facebook marketing, built a successful biz business doing that. Same thing. Started making over six figures a month doing that. And in the process of doing that, I finally got to a place in my life where I had enough money both saved to keep the business going because mm -hmm. you need capital to always keep these types of business going. It's They're extremely intense in uh, capital because of the way the pay structure works with this. So you have to float a lot of money a lot of the time. So I finally got to a place where I had enough money to keep the business going and I had enough personal money after tax dollars, which is important. You learn in life. That when you run a company and you make lots of money, it's not all yours. You have to still pay the government and pay your taxes and do all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it takes a while to build enough money to actually go and buy something like a Lamborghini with after-tax dollars. You have to earn almost three or four times as much money as the car's worth to, yeah. to be able to go buy that car. And even then, if you want, if you're smart, and that's you know, I was a little stupid. I didn't quite have enough money to save the rainy day fund if something catastrophic happened but i went anyhow and i took one hundred fifty-five thousand dollars, and i bought my first lamborghini gallardo it was a dream of mine i always wanted to own a lamborghini i'd been going to dealerships sitting in cars that didn't mm. belong to me for years leading up to this <laughs> holding on to the dream i buy the gallardo what color it was uh it was like a darker gray with almost a blue tint to it and uh spider or it was coupe. a coupe it was I had the a, cheapest one I could find. I had the yellow uh, Spider. Really? Yeah, yeah. Great car. Yeah, I loved it. E-Gear. I didn't have yeah. the manual. Yeah, I had E-Gear. Yeah, E-Gear. And I bought it. I was in love with it. Yeah. And I was starting to get into watching YouTube videos at the time. Um, YouTube wasn't quite as big of a thing, but there were some pretty unique YouTube videos that were coming out. There were these videos being produced by someone I didn't know who he was at the time by the name of Ken Block. And I was intrigued because he drove his car in a manner that seemed really fun to me. He was sliding it around, doing these all-wheel drive burnouts, but in a controlled manner. And so I was like, I love, you know, goofing off in cars, doing burnouts, doing donuts. And I was intrigued by how he was doing this. And I thought, is anybody doing this in Lamborghinis? And I started to search the internet and like nobody was beating on supercars. And so I just had this really bad idea that maybe beating on a supercar would get some like viral recognition on the internet. Yeah. And I thought YouTube would be my platform to put it on there. And I knew that YouTube at the time was one of the few platforms that would pay you for content. They had that creator program. Yeah. So creator partner program and you had to like apply for it back in the day no one knew they didn't publicly tell you what you had to do to get paid but it was like the rumor was like you had to have uh 10,000 subscribers 
and you know whatever the the requirements were. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna take a stab at this. So I took my Lamborghini Gallardo, and I knew nothing about producing videos. <clears throat> I just saw what Ken Block did. I was like, well, he obviously has some GoPros and he has someone else filming. So I went and found a videographer, and I had this concept of driving the Lamborghini in the forest, in the dirt, on a cloudy, rainy day, fast and sideways, beating the piss out of it. So we made this video, and I nicknamed it the Lamborghini WRC because it reminded me of, you know, World Rally Championship. Mm. They, they drive on, like, these back roads and yep. countries and through the forest. And the video went crazy. I couldn't believe it. I, like, was taking off. But I wasn't making any money because I was still needing to become an approved partner with YouTube to be allowed to make money. So I knew nothing about how to make money. I just was like trying to get the attention to build my channel. And the first video was just getting tons of hits and people were starting to subscribe to my channel. And I had no name for the channel at this time. It was just my personal name, Damon Fryer. And um, I thought, okay, I need to make a second video. So I came up with another video idea, burning tires off in the Lamborghini, doing donuts, beating on the car. Video starts to go viral again. And the channel starting to get like 1,000 subscribers, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. When it hit about 15,000, I kept checking and refreshing like, am I approved? Am I approved? I'm in the partner program. And I finally got an email that said I'd been accepted for YouTube's partner program. So then I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to make all this money on the internet, you know? Well, what you find out really quickly is it's, it's, I had to pay these videographers to come out and help me make videos. I was paying them like two, three, four thousand $4,000 to come out for a day or two to film and then, you know, spend a week editing a video. Yeah. And I thought, well, I didn't know how much money YouTube was going to make. Well, I put these videos up after that and one, videos they weren't all going viral. Like the first two went crazy. Mm. And then after that, the videos weren't really going viral. They weren't as long. I just didn't understand YouTube. I didn't understand how long a video needed to be. I didn't understand how ads were placed. I didn't understand how much ads were paying out for views. And it wasn't that much money at all. I think my first you first bit of money from YouTube with, even though I had a couple hundred thousand views on a video was only like, a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> so then, you know, the business person in me is like, how do I sustain beating the shit out of a $150,000 car that while I made those videos sustained damage to the tune of like a few thousand dollars plus the videographers were a few thousand dollars and the videos return is like a couple hundred bucks. I'm like, but again, I didn't give up. I just had to figure it out. And it took, it took years. It took me five years of just making random videos, putting them on YouTube, and analyzing them, trying to sit there and rack my brain. Why did this one get more views than that one? You know, what was it about this video? Well, how long was this video? How long was that video? Looking at some of the analytics, and slowly but surely, I came to the conclusion that I can tell you now that there is a happy medium and this has changed over time too but today there's a happy medium with youtube between quality and quantity so if you want to make it on youtube you need to have a quality video now what does that mean that doesn't necessarily mean production value that means quality storytelling it means quality 
uh, you're delivering some sort of value to the audience, whether that be entertainment, mm. education, right? You're showing someone how to do something that they don't know how to do. Yeah. That's the quality. But you also have to have the quantity. If you're not putting a video out, and I'll tell you this, if you're not putting a video out at least three times a week, it's going to be a long road to building. Unless you have something really unique that pops off. Yeah. You're, it's it's a long road. You can make it on YouTube, but you have to put out a lot of content because you constantly have to be feeding the machine. And I just put my head down and went to work and dove in. And for like probably the better part of a year and a half, we almost did daily. I did daily videos. Yeah. Some good, some awful. Some I look back on. I can't even believe I put them on the internet. But that's that's part of the business. Like you just of have course. to put yourself out there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's even like the podcast I've done, like uh, in uh, September, before years, and I remember the first few videos I've been made, and they're, they're kind of embarrassing when I look back at them. But you have to start somewhere. You do. And at that time, it's like when you're small, it's it's acceptable to make yeah bad videos because you don't well you don't even they're not bad. They're just bad compared to your standards when you figured it out. Yeah. Like you, you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so when you say uh, free videos a week, are you talking about long-form videos? How, how long? So now YouTube, this is how YouTube <clears throat> faces it. And, and I asked a bunch of other YouTubers when I was building my business, like, how do I get, how do I, how do I go to the next level? How do I, how do I make more ad revenue? How do I, you know, from, from the videos, I had all these questions and no one really had the answer. And I figured it out and then I've kind of given it away for free. And it's what you need to do is YouTube has <clears throat> a certain amount of time. And this, this time has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's gotten better. You have a set amount of time a video needs to be in order for you to be able to put in what's called mid-rolls. Mid-rolls is like the game changer for anybody who wants to be on YouTube. It is the make or break for a lot of people on whether they can do this full time and leave their shitty job that they hate and just be live the dream and mm. make content about whatever they're passionate about or be stuck having to work a job and do YouTube because they, they, they haven't figured it out yet. Mid-rolls is the ability to put ads in the middle of your video and not just have an automatic ad placed at the beginning or the very end of your video. YouTube has a requirement. It used to be 10 minutes. You had to have a 10 minute video. And if it was 10 minutes and one second, you could put in your own ads. And you can choose. You can go in and choose like the ad placement. Now, you have to be, there's a disclaimer here. You can't go nuts, have a 10 minute video and put an ad in every 30 seconds. Right. Okay. The audience is going to tolerate that. So um, there's a balance between figuring out what type of content you're making, the entertainment value, and knowing where strategically to put an extra ad in. Now, adding an extra ad or two is a complete game changer. It went from enabling me to make $500, $700, or $1,000 on a video to being able to make now three or $4,000 a video. So you can imagine how that changes. Mm. So now you it doesn't have to be 10 minutes. It's eight minutes. So you can make an eight-minute video on YouTube. And as long as it's eight minutes and one second, you can add an extra ad or two in the middle. It'll no. completely change how much money you make on, on the platform. So no one told me that. Like, 
it, it, that is literally what made it so that I could go full time on YouTube and leave my Facebook business behind me and, and move forward and build a sustainable company in the beginning Yeah. before you're big enough and you can start doing things like sponsorships that bring in revenue because you can do multiple streams of revenue. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you make money from, from let's say, your, your media content? There's obviously the brand uh, sort of like brand alignment, I guess you call it, or sponsorship. Yeah, we just call them sponsorships. Sponsorship, yeah. Yeah, so a company, uh, in the beginning, you go out and look for them and eventually when you get to a good size, you hopefully have brands coming to you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, like um, a shoe company or a, a product, something that's in alignment with hopefully your content, what you're doing, and your audience is very important. <clears throat> the demographic needs to be in alignment with what the demographic is for the product mm-hmm. or service. So you would think, oh, I do car content, you know, so I'm going to be selling motor oil and yeah. tires. That's actually not true. We do very, very much vlogging of the lifestyle. So yeah, I could do anything. You know, I could do a partnership with a hotel like the hard rock hotel or i could do a partnership with a clothing brand because i got to wear a t-shirt in my in my stuff or i could make my own t-shirt which we do you know we make daily driven exotics merchandise um i could do a partnership uh, with just about anything that i would use or consume in my own video hmm. so if you're the type of vlogger even though i do car stuff that starts the video off in the hotel room which we've done many times uh, just doing something as simple as real traditional vlogging, which is like, what's my lifestyle like? Well, I wake up and I brush my teeth. Well, what do I brush my teeth with? A toothbrush. Well, I do, do I use a manual toothbrush or do I use an electric toothbrush? Yeah. So I've actually done partnerships with electric toothbrush companies. You know, very successful, like to the tune of my audience has been amazing and has bought over six figures worth of toothbrushes in one video ad. So... Then you can start breaking it down to, well, what's that worth, Mm. right? So you can get paid, you know, whatever, sky's the limit again. So it's fun. You can dictate it. You can say, hey, my audience, I I have this many views. And from this many views, after you start doing brand deals and you get some data, you can go to companies and say, look, I did an electric toothbrush offer. Yeah. I did six figures. I charged $25,000 for that, right? I did... Uh, a deal with, let's say, Universal Studios. They wanted me to promote a new movie up and coming, Fast and the Furious 9. We did a deal with them for this much money, and we did, let's say, you know, 10 video integrations. Now, they weren't worried about conversions. They just want the branding power. Yeah. So there's a difference there too, right, between someone physically going and buying something and sales numbers being proven, if that's yeah. important to a company, or someone like Universal Studios just wanted as many eyeballs on the fact that they had this new movie coming out. Like a brand equity type yeah, of move. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's unlimited. You can do many streams. Brand sponsorships, ad revenue from YouTube, merchandise sales. Uh, you can even do what's called paid to appear. So uh, we were paid by the Grand Tour, uh, the guys who left Top Gear, okay. kind of Jeremy Clarkson and them. They had a show, the Grand Tour. And the Grand Tour had a big uh, collaboration with Amazon. And they yeah, went to that. the LA Auto Show yeah. a few years ago. And they wanted some influencers <clears throat> with you know their audience that was connected to come and be a part of their, 
their video game and all the stuff that they were doing. So they paid us just to show up. So you can get paid to do that. It's decent. Yeah, so it's cool. Go, going back to making the content then. So you've got the quality versus quantity. Quantity. You've got your own personalities yep. in the video, which yep. is important. Yep. And then you've got your product, which is predominantly the cars. Mm-hmm. So would you say they are like the three major things that a YouTuber, uh, a media person needs to think about when they're going on on to this journey? Yeah, I mean, the the first thing you want to think about is what is the value you're giving the people watching your channel or listening to your podcast, right? So you need to think about what is it that's going to sustain people coming back to watch you over and over and over again. Now for me, I didn't I don't know anything about cars. I don't really know how a motor works. I'm not a mechanic. It's not something I was ever interested in. I enjoyed driving cars and I was just like my friends always laugh, my friends who know how engines work and how cars are built, they always laugh that I have no mechanical sympathy because I don't understand how it works. Yeah. They're like you beat the shit out of these cars and you do things to them that most people who understand how they work won't do because it's like, it's really hard on the car. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, whatever. But um, you need to understand what you're offering them. So I went to a entertainment area. I was like, I'm going to entertain people, right? Like a TV show. Yeah. Like, you know, it's mind numbing to watch what we do for some people, but some people just find it really entertaining. Hmm. You get to see, you know, adventure, banter, you know, funny human interactions. It's entertainment. Yeah. I knew I could bring that to the audience consistently long-term. Um, where someone else, their mindset might be educational, right? They might be like, hey, I know how to build a motor. I'm going to show people how to build motors, how to do it efficiently, the steps to do it in, you know, or, or I've seen people have full YouTube channels on just detailing cars doing before and afters over and over and over again. So you have to, that's number one. You have to figure out what is the value you're going to bring to your audience. And then after that, other pieces will be, you know, just putting that into perspective so that you can do it long-term. Like you have to be almost crazy or obsessed with whatever it is you're talking about because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And if you want to do it to sustain some sort of career, I mean, we're talking five to 10 years. Right, hmm. so buckle up. You're in for the long run, and if you ain't, ain't gonna be. It probably won't work out because it's hard as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, some of the cars you've got. Obviously, you got your car here. Yeah. Uh, the SVJ, yep. uh, which has got an insane. What what exhaust system is that? So my friends at a shop in Le- uh, Los Angeles. Their name is Gintani. That's it. Yep. They specialize in um, exhaust fabrication. <clears throat> tuning and things like that modification of the exotic cars they have a exhaust system that they call the f1 race exhaust and that's it it's got no emissions um catalytic converters or anything holding it back that exhaust system yeah that's how you get such a loud high noise and the high pitch noise has something to do with the way that the pipes are bent and kind of come in like an x-pipe formation off of the header so yep. they call it almost like a long tube header extension. So something about the engineering and design of that is how they get that noise out of that motor. So it's, is is the FVJ's engine upgraded as well? Nope. 
No, so the stock motor, it's a 6.5 liter V12 from Lamborghini. It's uh, an amazing, amazing engine. And uh, they basically put that exhaust on and then they do a little bit of fine tuning, not a whole lot. They can add a little more fuel on diesel if you want, you know, the fire and the pops and the bangs, which we like for YouTube yeah. theatrics. Yeah. You know, everything for us, like I said, entertainment's all over the top. Plus when you're filming with a camera and a microphone, it loses the same experience as obviously if you're standing there. Yeah. Like you can't feel the exhaust. You can't feel the the percussion of the booms and stuff like that. So everything needs to be over the top because it gets kind of downplayed through the video and the microphone. So you just have to be as wild as you can, which is also why we yell at the camera. Like <laughs> physically in person, we're yelling. So did you like always have that type of personality where you could just go into camera and just like pick it up oh. and, and become, you know, this, I know like, a, <coughs> I wouldn't say it's a persona because. It is. You create a character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've seen me when I'm like not on camera. Yeah. Or even like right now, like a pretty normal person. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, I guess so. But when the camera's but, on. But yeah, I like, mean, Wah! did you have to build up to that? Yes. Oh, yeah, in the beginning it was hard. Yeah. And, like, and, and looking at yourself, I mean, because obviously we're all taught when we're younger, like holding the camera, you're taking photos and stuff, that's fine. The moment it's the other way around, it's a bit like... It's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it took a lot. It took a lot of... Again, building my mindset to not care what other people around me thought. Mm. I had to keep telling myself, you know, if someone's staring at you from across the gas station, the gas pumps, <clears throat> and you're holding this camera and you're talking to yourself and you're all alone, because that's what I was in the beginning. I didn't have a business partner in DDE in the beginning. I, I didn't have any co-hosts or anything. It was just me. And um, when I first started vlogging, it was really hard. It was a real mind fuck. I mean, you're like, you're at a gas station trying to explain that you're putting gas in your Lamborghini and like someone pulls up and they're like staring at you in a little town. I would like throw the camera into my car and like wait till they were gone. I'd start all over again, which is awful because it's such a waste of time. Yeah. And then eventually you just stop caring. You're like, nobody's going to do this for me. Nobody's going to pay my bills. No one's going to take care of my wife and kids. It's all on me. Yeah. So fucking get on with it. And who cares what anybody thinks? Exactly. Exactly. But that's still, that takes time. Yeah, for sure. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I can, uh, I can only imagine this is trial and error, isn't it? Over and over and over and over and over and forever. Like even now, some days was there's, you have to like, you got to remember as someone, I heard this once. Is the trick to become to become successful is the trick to always be motivated. You know, like how do you someone says, like, how do you always stay motivated to go do something? And that's that's the secret. The secret is it's not that you're always motivated, it's to be able to go and do the work and, and do whatever it is you need to do on the days that you don't feel like doing it. Yeah. Right? Whether yeah. that be going to the gym or being disciplined with your diet to stay in shape, that's the same thing with work ethic in anything you do yeah that's right it's the days you don't want to go and make a video that you get your ass up and you come up with a fucking idea and you go and execute it regardless so you get that video up the consistency of that the discipline of that that's where you can find success nothing's guaranteed i mean you could you could do all that stuff you could be disciplined and do the work and still get and still not get anything but that's where that's where 
you consciously, consciously have to be aware of what you're doing, right? Like if you're putting a video on YouTube, let's say three times a week, and you do that for a year, and a year later, the video you're putting up is getting the same video, the same views as the, the video a year ago, you're not paying attention. Like you need to change or do whatever you need to do to get a hold of, get the attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So going back to the cars then, so the sure. SVJ, I know you said you've got an F12 with also the same exhaust? No. The F12 is the world's first top mount twin turbo F12. So uh, again, being inspired even all these years later by the same gentleman, Ken Block, and his brand Hoonigan, um, he, they had built this crazy top mount turbo Mustang. And I thought, man, that's crazy. Again, how can I take a concept that I'm inspired by and make it my own? And so no one had taken any supercars. There had definitely been even cars previously to Ken's car that were muscle cars that had turbos mounted on the top of them <clears throat> sticking out the hood. Like that wasn't a new concept. Hoonigan just took it to a, a new level. Yeah. So that was like me. Hoonigan was inspired by somebody and so they took it to a new level. I was inspired by them and I took it to a new level. I put it on a exotic car that was $400,000 and most people would not dare to even touch, attempt yeah, that, yeah. right? So that's top mounted twin turbo produces 950 horsepower to the wheels. Jesus. And I was fortunate. I, uh, through some people we knew, I had a very famous car builder by the name of Aaron Kaufman, who used to be the head technician on a show called Gas Monkey Garage on Discovery Channel. And he built my car for me. So that was that was a fun collab. Cool. We have a bunch of cars. So want me to go down a quick list? Please. All right. So currently we have, let me, let me, let's just let me see if I can look at Instagram just to remember everything because they're kind of all over at the moment. Okay. So 2019 Lamborghini SVJ with a Gintani straight piped exhaust and has custom AL13 forged wheels, which are really cool. They're white wheels. Oh, really they really them. stand out. So when you do donuts and slide the car around and you film it in slow-mo, you can really see the wheels spinning. Yeah. They don't kind of get lost, which was the intent behind that. Um, let's go through the Lamborghinis first. So the SVJ, we have a 2015 twin turbo Huracan coupe, fully built motor transmission makes 1500 horsepower to the wheels. Jesus. Fastest car we have. It's a rocket. Insane. It was built by 316 speed here in Florida. We have a 2020, um, Lamborghini Huracan Evo Spider. Bought that car brand new, cut the windshield off of it. I was inspired by um, the Ferrari Monza and the McLaren Elva, the, the windshieldless supercars. And so I thought Lamborghini wouldn't make one. I was pretty much right. They didn't make a V10 version. They made a one-off V12 version for a client. No one's ever seen it again. But uh, I made my own version of that car. And that was fun. Again, shocked the internet, right? That was also supercharged with a VF engineering supercharger. So it also produced 840 horsepower and it was rear wheel drive. So phenomenal car. Um, recently bought a 1998 Lamborghini Diablo SV. Beautiful. In a beautiful giallo yellow. Beautiful. It's gated because pre-paddle shift gear times. <clears throat> I have a 2007 ultra rare manual LP640 Murcielago coupe. 
Lovely. It unfortunately was just on a test drive after getting some transmission work by a garage and the technician, the garage manager crashed it into a pole and totaled the car. Is it gone? Um, actually in the middle of dealing with an uh, absolute insurance nightmare on that thing. Because they want us to try to prove that the car is worth, you know, $900,000 because it went through the roof because manual gearbox Lamborghinis are very rare, especially the V12 variants. Yeah. They didn't make very many of them and they made very, very few LP640s because almost everybody bought that car with e-gear. Yeah. So the demand for that car went really, really high and there's not many of those cars. So supply and demand, common economics. So the, that, that rounds that out for the Lamborghinis. Ferraris, we have the twin turbo F12. We also have a 1999 Ferrari 550 Marinello, manual gated. Same car. Do you remember the movie Bad Boys 2 with Will Smith yep. and Martin Lawrence? Yeah. Remember that scene when they're in Miami and they're chasing the guys and they're throwing the boats off the back of the trailer yeah, yeah, yeah. and the boats are bouncing around and the Ferrari's like ripping around yep. all the boats, smashing down the freeway. Uh, we have that car. So we like to call that car. We nicknamed it the Bad Boys car. We're doing a full build on that car. V12 front engine gated. It's going to be a full-blown race car on our channel. We're in the middle of that, that build. So that is the two Ferraris. I did just build a wide-body 488, but I give it back to my friends at August Luxury Motor Cars, where we buy all our cars from. You met Matt and Mike. They're on the rally with us yeah. in the 765LT. And then speaking of McLarens, Dave and I have a 675LT um, coupe. It's currently up for sale. Dave, that was Dave's car. I have a 720S. I custom built into my ultimate 720 model, which I call the 720 GTR. And I mimicked the P1 GTR with the chassis mounted carbon wing. I have a fully built motor, fully built trans and all that going into it right now from Gintani, the guys who built the exhaust system. That car's going to have 1500 wheel horsepower. It'll be an absolute rocket. That car was fast already before. It'll be nuts. I blew that motor to smithereens. Uh, quite famously on the channel filming it just shredded it blew the block in half car caught on fire it was wild we got the fire put out but yeah i've also caught the twin turbo lamborghini on fire in another, <clears throat> another episode and um so those are the two mclarens and then uh we haven't had a lot of porsches but we've had a 911 gt3 rs on the channel before i've had a previous huracan twin turbo that was the car i kind of famously built the channel up with i've had a 458 y body in the past but the only porsche i currently still own is i have a beautiful 2005 porsche career gt they've gone absolutely nuts in the market in the last two years i got really lucky with the timing i bought that for sub a million dollars that car is now probably selling with the mileage i have on it for 1.6 us good very move. expensive car yeah it's a good investment these cars at the moment we're yeah. lucky but we're not looking to sell any of them. We use them for content. And uh, I drive that car, the Career GT. It's currently getting new wheels and a new wrap, full color change. Yeah. I'm excited that when we get back from Gumball, we'll be revealing that car, plus some updates. And uh, yeah, that's it. I had a chat with uh, James Walker, as you all well know, yep. um, uh, before our talk. And I was trying to say to him that when I was younger, the advice you would typically get from anyone older is, stop putting your money into uh, liabilities and put them into assets. Correct. And we always believe that assets are things like property, etc. And that is good sound advice. Mm -hmm. And then if you were to say to someone, I'm going to put 
a million pound into cars, people say you're crazy. But the difference is now they are an asset because they're going onto your channel. And I think it's it's a, a mindset shift again. It is. That, that most people won't understand until they start exploring this route of vlogging, media, YouTube, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really interesting because I, I never really looked at it like that. You know, I always, always thought like a car, yeah, it's nice, but it's going to depreciate. But you can find a way to cash flow that car. Yeah. That's when it becomes a good asset for you. Yeah, and I think, you know, you have to be realistic in the sense of like, is all real estate good real estate? No. I mean, you can buy a piece of real estate that never goes up in value. It could even go down. Yeah. That's the same thing with cars. That's the same thing with watches. That's the same thing with sneakers. There is there is an asset. I like to say there's an asset class in each category of product versus you know, just saying that like cars are a bad investment and real estate's amazing. That's, that's pretty general. Now, if you know and educate yourself on a certain type of product or industry and you can dif- get an eye for being able to differentiate what's a good asset versus what would be a liability. Because a real estate can be a liability too. Like, you know, just buy a house yeah. and the roof never wears out or the yard doesn't need maintenance or, you know, like the plumbing or the piping or like, you know, shit can go wrong and it can cost money. It can be a liability, especially if the real estate value is not going up. If it's just costing you money and it's not making money, it's a liability. Of course. That can happen in real estate. So you have to get an eye for like what property is valuable. Where, where what, where's that property located? What's happening in that um, community, that city, that country? What's the economic status of the world now you got to worry about, right? Because we live in a global economy. You have to worry about all that stuff. But if you can get an eye for a product and understand, okay, not all Nike Air Jordans are going to go through the roof, but you start to go, okay, well, like there's only so many of these made. It's it's being um, in collaboration with this artist. This is going to be a shoe that pops off. This would be a good asset. That's the same thing with cars right? You start to go down the checklist. Hmm. What do they don't make anymore? Well, they're not making manual gearboxes. They're not making big, um, massive combustion engines anymore. Like this stuff's all going to go away. We're going in a direction of electric cars Hmm. and there's going to be a demand for a collectible, you know, rare type of car. And so if you can start to figure out what that is, that will be an asset, but not all cars are going to be in that demand. And not all manuals and not all big engine cars. You know, I hate to say it, you know, uh, uh, an Aston Martin manual V12 is just not going to appreciate as fast as a manual Lamborghini V12. Hmm. It's just not. So you have to also have the understanding of brand differentiation, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So if you can figure that out, that's, that's where the difference is between someone who makes money and someone who doesn't make money. That's the difference between paying attention and consciously understanding what's going on. Like I said, you need work ethic. You need discipline and perseverance to get over all the shit. You need to be able to overcome challenges and be a good problem solver. But you can do all that stuff and still not make money and and quote unquote fail. You have to understand from your failures, why did you fail? Don't do that again. Try something new. Never give up. But when you see something work, 
try to build on top of that, right? If you buy one car and you made money on it, you have to go, well, why did I do that, right? Try to find this, the repeatable success. Yeah, the clues. Yeah, the clues. So, it's like solving a problem, right? Yeah. So we're here for the Gumball Rally. Yes. Toronto to Miami. We, yes. we finished it. We got the the awards tonight, yep. which I'm really looking forward to. I think Max and his team have put together a really, really cool um, event. Mm-hmm. It's been hardcore. It's been fun. Yes. I think it's been great because of the cars, because of the different cities. But I think the most important thing for me is connecting with people. Your good self, obviously your business partner, Dave, uh, I mean, there's countless people I've met and and, and they've all been really, really, really good people. With you, though, when you're going to city to city, do you ever like, because you're successful, right? You've got nice cars, you're in good shape, lovely watch, you know, good lifestyle. But then when you get to a new city and there's a crowd waiting for you, that must be quite a good feeling. It is. I think just to go back on what you said, you know, like people define success as... um, and not to say you don't understand this, but like when you're like, you know, you're in good shape. That's number one, like health. Yeah. You got to have your health. Yeah. Um, but with health, you point out like physical health, you got to have your mental health. Like you have to mentally be in a good place. Yeah. Along with your phys- physical health. And then, yes, having a nice car and money in the bank and, and the things that come with money, that whatever you choose that you put value into, whether it be nice shoes or pants or whatever, materialistic things, a watch. You have to hope you're liking it because you genuinely like it. Yeah. You either like the story about the company that is behind that product and why it is what it is. Yeah. And you're not just liking it because you think other people are going to like you because you have this shit on. I think the most important thing about being successful is success to me and being rich to me isn't about how much money you have or how much stuff you have. It's about, are you actually fucking happy? Are you actually living a life where you're happy doing what you're doing? And that's the most important thing that I think people have so twisted. Mm. The conversation needs to be, are you doing something that genuinely makes you happy? Right? And are you being a positive influence to the people around you? And so, um, I like to consider myself successful and very rich because I do have good health. I think I have take my care, tried to take care of myself more, more recently. And I have an amazing relationship uh, with my wife, with my three daughters and with the, my friends that I care about and the people around me. That's why I would consider myself rich. I don't have a, an abundance of money. Like I, if I don't go to work tomorrow, if I don't keep making videos, it would be a very short period of time before all that money I have in the bank would be absorbed by car payments and other things that I have because I do leverage my money. That's a whole other conversation about how to get financial success leveraging other people's money. But um, yes, it's very, very fulfilling and I'm very, very happy and grateful for the business I have because even though it's entertainment, we're told all the time by people that we make a positive impact in their lives because they get to watch our videos because they're going through a hard time in it. And for whatever reason in their life, they don't have a support network. Mm. And so when they're not happy or they're going through a hard time, they feel a connection to us through our videos 
And it's almost like where their support network in hard times yeah. when they don't have physical people around them to help them lift them up. And so that's very inspiring. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, when you run into these people who are like, you know, my family member passed away and it was like, I had a dark six months or 12 months or whatever. Um, or I was unhealthy or I had, I found out I was diagnosed with cancer. God, man, like some of this stuff is really heavy to have conversations about. And people are like, you got me through going through chemo treatments in, in the hospital or, you know, you're all I watched or whatever, or even something yeah. smaller to that effect. You know, just a kid with his dad who him and his dad connect over watching our show. And then we see them in person at the, at the gumball finish line or along one of the cities along the way. Mm. That's what's really touching. I'd say that, <clears throat> that my, uh, my passion for cars, because I just is so obsessed with cars and meeting people through cars and going on these amazing journeys on four wheels to these wild places. That's what keeps me going every day. Because yeah. making these videos is bloody hard. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like I'm challenged and enjoy. Well, how do I make the next video entertaining? You know? Yeah. And some days I'm like, oh, man, I don't feel like uploading today. And I'm like. What if today's the video that I put up that maybe helps someone in a tough time and it's the video that I don't know, stops someone from doing something crazy? Yeah. I've had people come up to me and tell me, like, your video stopped me from killing myself. Fuck. That's probably the heaviest one. Cool. Yeah. That is heavy. Hard. Hard. Makes so, the hair on my arm stand up. Yeah, man. It's crazy. It. It's crazy. Yeah. But what a positive, positive thing you're doing for so many people. So, um, where do you see you, your brand going over the next five, ten years from now? What's the, what's what's the next plan? What's the vision? The plan is I have a new shop, Southern California, Huntington Beach, and we're in the process of just renovating that, tidying it up, make it into a place we can build cars because I've never done that on my on in a location where I have freedom and the control to film all of it. When you're outsourcing cars being built to other shops, you have to respect that somebody else's shop. As much as you want to film it and do your job, you're kind of at the mercy of their schedule, their building, their hours, yeah. yada, yada, yada. So I wanted more control of that. And, and this is a word I learned again in my early 20s is um, vertically integrated. And that's when a business starts to buy up or consume the other aspects that are outsourced to their business. And I'll give you an example of that. Let's just something everybody knows, Starbucks. Let's say Starbucks sells coffee. They make <clears throat> coffees. You go to a Starbucks. Well, where do the, where's the coffee come from? Well, it has to come from a farm. Well, Starbucks owns the farms, right? So they own right from growing the beans the whole process all the way up through selling you yeah. the beans, selling you the coffee. That's vertical integration. They own, you know, it's, they could go as far as even owning the shipping company. That's vert, like owning every aspect. So we're trying to get to a place where we're more vertically integrated. Now, I'm never going to own Ferrari and we'll, right? I'm not going to make the cars from that aspect. But vertically integrated in the sense that I can go out, buy a car, bring it into my shop, and from concept of design concept of executing the build and everything now can be controlled in my four walls in my building if i want to have tech guys and welders and fabricators and all that and machines in my shop to to build an entire car 
that's that's the vision and the goal because then I have control over that and I can get more content out of it because now I'm not missing something. I'm not at the mercy of someone else's schedule. Yeah. And I can do it quicker, faster, produce more content. That's the idea. So that's where we're going right now. And we want to then also on the, that's on the, let's say front of the house type of stuff. Back of the house is the producing the content. After that, we want to take the, like, sorry, producing driving content. Then we want to take the cars and do crazy stuff with them. Go on rallies, take them to racetracks, and maybe even do our own crazy video series. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but again, inspiration from Ken Block and Hoonigan. They changed the game when they started making these high production, crazy rally style driving videos in cities called Jim Kahana. You know, and Ken Block sliding a rally style car around San Francisco, mm. or they were then purposely building cars just to do that, like the Mustang, what they nicknamed the Hoonicorn. A lot of people know this all-wheel drive, one-off Mustang that he drove through Los Angeles like just nuts, right? It's so entertaining. <laughs> and I'm just so inspired by that. And it would just be so much fun to like get in a car that you built over a year or two and then take it out and just destroy tires and make all the noise and do this precision driving that just blows people's minds when you get close to things and you put, you know, high-value car with a unique build in a high risk environment, but you pull it off. Yeah. That's what shocks people. People are like, people are amazed by how Ken drives at those cars so close to so many things. You're like one more inch this way. And he's blowing the whole rear end off of a million dollar car, but he didn't, you know, he made it. Yeah. You have this massive respect for his talent and his ability to, to drive that car and put it wherever he wants to. I, I like that kind of stuff. I've always been a driver. So, so beyond the current business, do you, would, are you involved with anything else like properties or any, anything like that? Or is it purely and simply all to do with the entertainment, the cars, the vlogging? Pretty much. Uh, I bought my first house uh, a little over a year and a half ago, all thanks to my business partner, Dave, and a good friend of mine, Mike. Um, they made me take the plunge. And uh, that's turned out to be a good investment. So I have equity in that home. The value of it's gone up. But I'm not looking to go get rental properties or any of this other stuff. I, I'm a big believer. Again, again, that wouldn't create more happiness for me. I'm actually quite happy with the level of financial success I have. So I'm just looking to do things that I enjoy doing, which is hang out, meet awesome people, drive my cars. I love driving meet more people who support me and my business. So more, meet more of our audience. That's it. Just rinse and repeat. I don't need really any more money. I don't really need any more cars. I mean, I'll always change the fleet up for the audience yeah. and just to experience other things and to let the creative out, outflow of my mind, you know, I have always had these crazy ideas of what cars could look like or be. So I want to keep doing that. That's it for the most part. Quite how, happy, quite content. How how, uh, how much would you say the overall value or your cars are, are worth? Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, I think right now of, I think we're, we looked at it the other day. That is about six and a half million nice. US dollars. Nice, yeah. that's good. And a gumball, it's your first time you're doing the gumball rally, right? First gumball. Yeah. Loved well, it. Yeah. I've well, been on many rallies before. There's nothing like this one. Yeah. It was more about... <clears throat> Gumball makes it less about the journey of the route 
and the driving, they make it more about the journey and the experience of the people coming together, which I found very true, very cool. Yeah. And you already said it. There's like amazing people on this. There's not one person on it. And I'm not making this up. Not one person on this rally that I was like, oh, I don't really like that guy. Yeah. Or like they're like, I had some judgment, I should say, yeah. about them. I like literally ever got on with everybody like really well, genuinely really well. And what I, what I really like, liked about this Gumball experience is in the mix of it, they put different things in, such as Indy 500 race. Uh, last night, I played at Inter Miami, David Beckham Stadium, with ex-professional footballers, ex-professional baseball players, basketball players, rappers. Uh, and then what else did we do? I went in a NAS car and done four laps in in Talladega. Yeah. Oh my God! Just incredible. Like, like I've done so many box ticking experiences, all in six days. Yeah, it's incredible. Bucket list shit. Honestly, it's yeah. crazy. And I've been driving down the freeway motorway yeah. in a Lamborghini Aventador next to you and a bunch of other people. Just unbelievable, it's ripping it. Mind-boggler. Ripping it. Yeah. It's been incredible. Yeah, and everyone's been, you know, like I said, just like super great, like hospitable and gracious and and, and, and sharing stories and, and even going as far as saying like, when Gumball's over, like, come see us where they live in their hometown. Come come take one of our cars out. Like It's, it's wild, the offers we've been given, you know, to go and do more stuff. It's cool. So it's the networking and the people and the lifelong friendships that you'll make. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, right, I've got one more question for you. Sure. So when I first got into business for myself when I was about 24, 25 years of age, I'm 36 now, by the way, uh, it was a sales company. Um, and I had to keep all the sales people very mo- motivated because the definition of, an, definition of a sale is the transfer of enthusiasm. If I can get you enthusiastic about something, mm-hmm. a bit like your audience, what you do, yeah. uh, that's the sale. So I come up with this mantra, and it goes like this. Be happy, never content. Now, I've got my own interpretation of what that means to me. If I can ask you, the main man, what does be happy, never content mean to you? Well, you have to find, like I said, you have to find the, the secret to life is to figure out what's really making you feel fulfilled. And you have to obviously focus more on internal than external. Too many people are focused on thinking they're going to find happiness on like all the stuff, you know? Like it's it's like the gold watch or the fancy shoes or the like I'm telling you, that's just all fucking brainwashed marketing stuff. Hmm. You know, like you need to like, like I said, like I like this watch and that because I like the brand, I like the brand because I genuinely like the story of the brand. And I like the story of the craftsmanship that goes into what makes this, this, you know what I mean? Um, I don't wear it because I think someone's going to give me a nice compliment and think that I'm rich. Like that doesn't make me happy. That's not fulfilling. It really isn't. Mm. So that's the thing is like when you say be happy, I think of like being happy, like internally being happy and never be content. I think um, on some level is like it's fun to enjoy the journey, not the destination. Like 
find your way to go through life enjoying the process. You know what I mean? Make sure you like stop once in a while and, and like look around and be like, this is pretty cool. Because life's old. always happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if you're just excited to get to the destination, well, once you get there, that's, that's always going to only be a moment. And you missed all the moments leading up to it that were probably just as, just as amazing as when you got there. Hmm. So I think the never be content part, I would translate that into, you know, enjoy the journey, enjoy the process, enjoy what you're doing in every moment, not just trying to get to where the goal is. And then when you think you get there, then you're going to be happy. That's not how it works. You have to be happy all the time. Good answer, man. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. I'm really looking forward to seeing the evolution and more stuff with DDE and uh, also with your business partner, Dave. Um, yeah, it was an honor meeting you and uh, it's been it's been a wild ride, man. Thank you. Really enjoyed coming. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No problem. I wish you guys all the success. Thank you very much. Maybe you just keep interviewing, you know, people who have achieved that happiness I was talking about and they talk about you know, their journey and how they weren't content. You're going to have a lot of amazing information that a lot of people really need to pay attention to Thank because you. everyone's looking for the secret sauce. Yeah. And the secret yeah. sauce is really just what I just said. Yeah. But everyone has a different way of saying it. And it's almost like, uh, I'll leave you with this. It's like when you grow up, my dad had a lot of great advice for me. The downside was he was my dad. And for whatever reason, I dismissed what he was saying and I had to hear the exact same shit he told me years later from somebody else because they just said it in a different way that I, let's say for lack of a better word, just respected them and the timing was right. Mm. That even though they said the same thing my dad told me, I finally heard it and it was great advice and I started living my life by it and it was life changing. So I think it's great that when people watch these types of podcasts, even though somewhere hidden in every message is probably the same thing. Yeah. It's that someone will say it a certain way to affect some people and the next person will say it in a way that affected the people that missed it with the other guy. I think that's what's great about, you know, human interaction. Absolutely. Yeah. Wicked, bro. Cheers. Thank, thank you very much. My pleasure.